This is Steve Thompson, and we are right in the middle of the part of the book of John where time begins to slow down dramatically. This is the last week of Jesus' life. This is Jesus' last day of life in this body here on earth. This is a day of monumental significance in the cosmos and in the vast expanse of time. This is a turning point. Everything changes after this. So slowing down to catch all of the details, all of the nuances, makes sense. We pick up in the middle of Jesus' civil trial with Pilate as the presiding ruler, judge, and jury in John chapter 19. Then Pilate had, flo- had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said, Look, here is the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, By our law, he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? Then Jesus said, You would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leader shouted, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called the stone pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabatha. It was now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, Look, here's your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him and crucify him. What? Crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the leading priests shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. The power dynamics in this section just leap off the page. Pilate has all the confidence of someone completely in charge. There's no fear or second guessing. He's Pilate. He answers to no one but Caesar, hundreds of miles away. Today is just another day in the life. The Jewish people have God on their side. Yeah, they live under Roman occupation and rule, which is incredibly inconvenient and humiliating, to say the least. But it's just a matter of time. God will act on their behalf, just like he has over the past few thousand years. They just need to keep a close watch on everyone's behavior and bide their time. Both of these parties paint themselves into a corner trying to play a power game that they unknowingly can't win. No one wins a power game with God, especially when God's plan for global domination involves allowing his creation to brutally murder his one and only 
born as a human being's son, so that the true enemy, lurking behind and underneath this entire drama completely hidden from view, can be unarmed and exposed as powerless. In love and weakness and humility and self-surrender, the antithesis of a power maneuver or a grab for control, death and Satan are blindsided and stripped of any chance of success. The people struggling for control on the surface unknowingly received the greatest gift they could have ever been given by their own creator, but they would never see it because they couldn't recognize what was coming at them was pure love. I hate to use a really trivial analogy, but I think it's helpful. If you've never seen the Lego movie 2, then I'm about to spoil it for you. But the the heroes of the story, because they were heroes who triumphed over the evil control of Lord Business in the first movie, now face a new villain who clearly posed as loving friends, but their true evil intentions were so thinly veiled that only the most gullible people would ever fall for their flattery. Only it turns out that all of their flattery was actually genuine love, concern, overtures of redemption and reconciliation. But the heroes couldn't see it. They had made an enemy out of their ally, and nothing could convince them that things could be different. I know it's a silly movie and probably an even sillier analogy, but I think it can be genuinely helpful in pulling our heads out of the sand when we get in any situation in which we think we can truly win by powering up, when we think that the best outcome will be achieved if we control it and make it happen no matter what the cost. We can be so easily deceived that the ends justify the means and that truly good outcomes can be had even if we compromise a little here or there. We just fail to calculate the cost of compromise. When we compromise, we immediately and automatically lose. We're disqualified. Pilate was disqualified the minute he overestimated these Jewish peasants in his estimation that he oversaw and thereby backed himself into the one person who carried a much larger stick than he. Caesar would squash him for mishandling something like this. The Jewish leaders were DQ'd the minute they played the trump card up their sleeve, knowing Pilate's kryptonite. They needed Jesus to die because he claimed to be equal with God, by, and they did it by denying and betraying the very same God. It was as if they hoped that by crossing their fingers behind their backs while saying, we have no king but Caesar, meant they could play it all off as just a clever move that they never really meant in order to win the truly important victory. And they backed themselves up against the very God they meant to defend and honor. So bringing it back to us and the application that I see is the power move. The control move never ends up giving us what we thought it would, and we lose in the end. The manipulative move, no matter how small or insignificant the relationship it happens within, always brings about a no-win situation. We end up being the losers again. 
the compromising move, hoping to take a short-term loss for a long-term gain, always disintegrates into a net loss. The only move that ends up with an undisputed win is the humble, self-sacrificing love move. It may look like a loss on the surface, but it resonates with the heart of the universe and the character of our creator, and it actually creates life. Jesus, that's what we want. We want life. We want to experience life. We want the win in our relationships and everything that we do. And God, we get tempted to shortcut uh, our way to that win <laughs> by controlling it, by manipulating it, um, by compromising, honestly. Jesus, would you please make us aware of where we're tempted to take that shortcut or to power up or to just make it happen? Um, no matter what our, our actual heart motivations are, would you reveal that for what it is? And today, open our eyes up to the possibilities of what a love move could look like in our school, in our company, in our home, whatever that is. Lord, would you please give us that foresight and that vision and that character and that dedication to doing it the Jesus way today. We want to win the way you won. And I know that sometimes that costs us in the short term, and it's painful and it's hard. But Lord, please uh, fill us with that heart that would take the short-term loss for the long-term gain every time because we see you in it and because we see life in it. So Jesus, we cry out to you for your help, and we thank you so much for the grace and the privilege of getting another shot today. It's in your name I ask it. Amen.